Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the Psalms. Psalm 118, verses 1 to 5 and 14 to 29. Listen for a word from God. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The word of the Lord. That psalm, God's word to us this morning, which is the foundation of our worship service, our baptism and ordination installation service this morning, is familiar to many of us because it's a psalm we always read on Palm Sunday, sort of the processional psalm. The words are quoted in Matthew's gospel and other gospels as Jesus enters Jerusalem for that final time. So as we meditate and reflect on God's word in Psalm 18 to us, please start by praying together. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together this morning on your word, O God, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Almost exactly 11 years ago today, at the Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, California, a long way from here, the Reverend, Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber, who is the pastor of a congregation, a Lutheran congregation in Denver called the Church for Saints and Sinners, 
gave the commencement address to the graduating seminarians. And she said, perhaps, dear graduates, you are sitting there today wondering if you now have what it takes to serve this church that you love. Perhaps you're thinking, am I prepared? Do I really have what it takes to serve the church as a leader? And the answer, of course, is don't be silly. Of course you don't. If you're worried that you have weaknesses or deficiencies or shortcomings, you can stop worrying, she said. You're right, you do. You really don't have what it takes. But fortunately, you do have the God that it takes. And the question Nadia Boltz-Weber asked the seminarians that day, the question that she's asking us, too, is not whether your failings and weaknesses and shortcomings will get in the way. The question is, will your strengths get in the way? I love that question. When you're trying to respond to God's grace in your life, to your experience of love, deep happiness, purpose, when you're trying to respond to God and to walk with God and to live in God's presence as best you can, none of us does it perfectly, the question is, will your strengths get in your way? Because, you know, it's so easy to forget what we've learned. To start thinking that on my own, I do have what it takes. And of course, that's when we get into trouble. Because when one strength doesn't work, we start going for another one. And when that doesn't work, we kind of go to the next one. And we start chasing and running and working and striving and trying to fill up that space that nothing but God really can fill. And it never ends. Psalm 118 can help. Did you catch it? Graham read the first verse and the last verse of the psalm, and it's the exact same verse. Psalm 118 starts and ends with an invitation. Oh, give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks. The Hebrew word for steadfast love, one of my favorite words to say, the Hebrew word for steadfast love is chesed. Chesed. It's an incredible word. Steadfast love, not just love, not just affectionate love or romantic love or erotic love or any filial love or platonic love, steadfast love. The Old Testament scholar Clinton McCann calls this the very phrase, the very essence of who God is. Steadfast love, that's who God is, that's what God is. So our God isn't just a God who loves us, tolerates us, puts up with us, our God is a God whose love sticks with us, is steadfast, perseveres, even through death. That's what Easter's all about. God's steadfast love cannot be extinguished. That's why we just baptized Mackenzie and celebrated. You can see it, you can feel it in her, right? And in you, and in us together. And that's how the psalmist bookends this 118th psalm. 
in between these bookend invitations, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, the writer gives us some verses to remind us that we have good reason to celebrate today even if we don't have what it takes, especially because we don't have what it takes to live faithfully, to be at peace, to lead the church, to be the people we were born to be. We don't have what it takes, but what we do have, what Mackenzie has, and what our deacons and elders who might be wondering if they have what it takes, have today is the God that it takes. And that's all we need. You may know that the word Psalms comes from the Greek name of that book, that collection in the Bible, in the middle of the Bible. The Greek word is psalmoi, which means songs played with a stringed instrument. Not stringed, stringed. You've got your happy psalms to be sung and played with a stringed instrument. You've got songs of thanksgiving. You've got sad psalms, which are songs of lament. You have psalms of praise. You have royal psalms that celebrate a king's coronation or the king's entrance into the great hall or a royal wedding. You have psalms of confidence and trust, psalms of despair, which are meant to be sung during the times of trial that we all go through. Almost every psalm in our 150 psalms, which are in our Bible, fits nicely into one of these categories, but not this one today, not Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is one of a kind. Here's why. Look on your bulletin, if you'd like, with, at this morning at verse 5. Out of my distress, it says, I called on the Lord. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Hebrew word for distress, matzar here, is really better translated a narrow place. Or to use kind of a colloquial modern English phrase, a tight spot. Out of my narrow place, I called upon the Lord. Out of my tight spot, I prayed, I opened my heart, I called upon the Lord. I cried to the Lord. I screamed to the Lord, maybe. I might have even screamed at God. If I'm honest, if I'm honest with myself, sometimes that happens. That's a tight spot when you feel like that. So when we're singing Psalm 118 or reading Psalm 118, we're meant to remember the tight spots, the matzarot we've been in, the narrow places where we've been confined in our lives. When it, we know what it feels like to be squished and squeezed and squashed with fear and anxiety, maybe even pain, maybe worry, maybe anger. Close your eyes for a moment, if they're not already closed, And go back to the tough times in your life story, the toughest times. Pick one. Your tight spot, your narrow place, your place of distress. Recall how it felt. Not so much the details, just the feeling of loneliness, of anxiety, maybe depression, maybe fear, maybe anger. Now, think back to the moment when you got out of that tight spot. When you lived through it, when you emerged on the other side of it. One way or another, all of a sudden, maybe, 
like Paul on the road to Damascus, or like most of us, slowly and methodically, you emerged. That's the rest of verse 5. Take a look right here at the beginning of this psalm. The psalmist remembers, out of my, my distress, my hatsar, my narrow place, my tight spot, my moment and place of pain and fear, I called on the Lord, I cried to the Lord, I screamed to the Lord, and then the rest of verse 5 says, and the Lord answered me and put me in a broad place. Broad place is a place where you can breathe. You can see the sun again, you can feel its warmth, you have options again. And you didn't get there on your own. You just found yourself there. Sort of like, for those of us who remember the old show Star Trek, when we got beamed up or beamed down, there you are. Somehow you made it. Because you didn't have what it takes on your own. I didn't have what it took on my own. And yet somehow I'm here to tell the story. Now, we're not really sure how Psalm 118 was used. It describes some kind of procession or parade, which is one reason we use it in Palm Sunday, we Christians, where the people march down the street into the great sanctuary. We're sure that's behind these verses somehow. Something has happened, something hard, something bad, something big, and not just a personal crisis or a personal experience of suffering. There's been some kind of national crisis the whole people of God has been together in some kind of tight spot, like a pandemic, for example, or a war, or a time of, of anger and polarization. Just saying. And now whatever it was that was so hard, so tight, so narrow, so constricting, is past, is over. And so led by the king, the people are marching together and celebrating. And as they go, those invitations at the beginning and end of the psalm are yelled to the people on the side of the road standing there. Come join us. Come give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The procession gets bigger and bigger, goes forward. People respond. It gets bigger and bigger still. As the parade enters the temple precincts in Jerusalem, the leader, the king maybe himself, demands to the gatekeeper, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter in and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. But before we go on, let me not, let's not make the mistake that a lot of church people do. The word righteous here and really everywhere in the Bible doesn't mean the good people. It doesn't mean the ones who uh, have proven themselves worthy of God's steadfast love. Remember, in our baptism, we acknowledge that no one is. No one. The righteous are the ones who know they don't have what it takes. They know that they owe their lives and their fortunes to God. And they're ready to acknowledge that truth because they've been in a tight place before. No, her mom's holding in her, in her arms right now, which is pretty snugly. Mackenzie probably hasn't been in that tight place yet, but anybody who's been a parent knows there's that moment that comes when your child goes through something that breaks your heart. Happens to everybody, eventually, sooner or later. That's life, right? They acknowledge that they owe their lives and their fortunes to God because they know they don't have what it takes. They couldn't get out of their tight spot, their narrow place by themselves, and yet here they are in a broad place now with their whole life ahead of them, just like Mackenzie. 
For anybody who's been there, who was once was lost, but now is found, you know what I mean. A world turned upside down. You thought it was over. It was fourth and long. And the quarterback had a really bad arm. And yet somehow, you did it. I thank you, the psalmist says, that you have answered me. The stone that the builders rejected, that not square, not round, not smooth, not strong stone, that funny imperfect rock that no contractor or builder or architect in their right mind would ever use, that's the stone that has become the chief cornerstone of the house that God is building. That's the stone that bears the weight of the walls and the ceiling and the roof, everything. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's amazing. That's what Easter's about. Victory snatched from the jaws of certain defeat. A complete reversal of fortune. That's why we're marching and celebrating and singing and praying and inviting everyone to join in. Oh, give thanks to the Lord because God is good. It's not always easy with God, but it's always good because we will be brought, you and I, to a broad place. There's a great and wonderful story from La Arche, the Christian movement which runs homes for people with mental and physical disabilities. On one beautiful summer day, the community there took a group of children with Down syndrome to the beach for a day at the beach. Everyone there was happy and the children were playing in the ocean and drawing pictures in the sand. And one of the teachers said to one of the children there, hey, draw me a picture of a house. So the child, using a stick there in the sand, drew a picture of a house. Then she said to another child, hey, draw me a picture of a horse. And the child drew a great picture of a horse in the sand. Finally, she said to a third child standing there, hey, draw me a picture of joy. And the child looked up at her and looked all the way to one end of the beach as far as she could see to the horizon and then looked to the other end all the way to the horizon on the beach and then looked back up at her teacher and the child said, there's not enough room here for joy. Your broad place is where you feel joy, which is a gift. All the best moments in life are really gifts, right? They're not achievements, they're gifts. A place where we can see the sun, we can feel it again, where we know and remember that we didn't have what it took, but we've been given this gift of the day that the Lord has made with God in it because of Christ Jesus, because of God's sacrificial love, self-giving love for us. And finally, one of the really unique things, the unique thing about the 118th Psalm is that it's not just a psalm of thanksgiving for what's happened in the past. It orients the reader and the singer and all of us, the worshipers, baptized and deacons and elders and congregation alike, to the future. Because right after we hear that the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone, we hear the psalmist say, Save us, Lord, we beseech you. Save us. Give us success. Because we know we're going to need saving again and again and again. And that's what it means to live a spiritual life. That's the life into which we baptized Mackenzie. And by the way, whenever we as Presbyterians, because we always have to baptize in a public setting, whenever we baptize someone, not me, we, we're going through and experiencing our own baptism again. 
and we're declaring that we don't have what it takes, but because of God's love, God's steadfast love in Christ, we have the God that it takes. And I've known a few deacons and elders who've wanted to scream, save me! Right? Especially when the meetings get long, I see some people nodding. Who wonder if they've got what it takes, if they're ready, if they know enough about faith, if they're any good at praying, if they wonder what they've got, what it takes. And the answer is, don't be silly. Of course you don't. But you do have the God that it takes. Mackenzie has the God that it takes. Each and every one of us, and the whole world does. It's worth celebrating. Amen.